the Koi Gig part on Off The Ball. You do get tired of winning. People say, oh, you never get tired. You do. You get tired of winning. You get tired of winning easily. You actually want competition in the end. You want to have to work Subscribe for it. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. We're uh, turning our attention back to tennis. I'm delighted that Conor Nyland is with us to reflect on uh, Novak Djokovic's ascendancy to the throne as the greatest ever. Even I can't deny this anymore, Conor. Um, his record is unimpeachable and he's he not finished at all. No, no, he's not. He's got another few left. In a, good morning. I was listening to you lads talk about Jonathan Liu there. He wrote a great article in The Guardian a couple of days ago about the win as well. As you say, ascending to the throne and in Nadal's house, you know, it was it was obviously Djokovic versus Kasparov, but it was it was Djokovic versus Nadal in terms of the slam numbers and to do it in in on Chatrier at the French where Nadal's been so dominant was sort of ironic and I'm sure pretty sweet for Djokovic. His story is so long that I had forgotten significant aspects of it, which I was only reminded of recently watching the Boris Becker documentary. Um after Becker retires, there's a period uh, where he becomes a coach, where he's like, uh, he's actually in Djokovic's box for a couple of seasons, and it's quite important. In like, uh, you've forgotten that there was a flakiness in, in Djokovic. Andy Murray would beat him and could outlast him, and it was it was in the mix who would win between Murray and Djokovic on clay. Now, obviously, that's a testimony to how great a player Andy Murray was, but it does seem as if there were staging posts along the way that have been important in terms of turning him into the psychological power that he is. That's it. Like he was, he was pulling out of matches a lot. And it's interesting when you think of kind of what happened with Alcaraz, like Alcaraz was, was nearly the story of the tournament up until that one love on the third set against Djokovic, when he started cramping kind of out of nowhere, he was, he was incredible. He has been incredible the last few months um, and, and was uh, dismantled Sitsabas in a way um, that I haven't really, I haven't really seen a, a a player like Alcaraz. I feel like in in a, in a long time. Um, but as you say, his body is letting him down a little bit at that early stage in his career. And we saw it a lot with Djokovic, um, sort of between the ages of say eighteen and twenty one, twenty two, even. So hopefully Alcaraz can sort of settle down into that period and, and maybe start to get a bit of momentum and maybe take a little bit of a run at some of these records. He's got a long way to go, though. Um, but yeah, Djokovic had, had Becker on board for a couple of years. I feel like Becker actually helped him a lot with his serve. He was known as an unbelievable returner, ground stroke remover, but he brought, I think he brought his serve on quite a bit. Um, and it's now it's now a weapon has been for about five or six years so uh, the full package and I think he always found Roland Garros the hardest to win obviously Nadal was a huge component to that but like he's now got the Aussie this year and the French he's always had a nice kind of a run at Wimbledon and the US Open he sort of liked that that two or three months um, and it didn't take that much out of him physically as I said with the way the Alcaraz match finished uh, and obviously the Rude match was was relatively straightforward um, so I would have thought pressure off now. He's got that number, the 23, uh, and he's got to, you know, maybe have a tilt for the counter slam just to top it off. Wouldn't put it past him. That's the thing, Connor, isn't it? Like, and that's the scary thing for his opponents is that that calendar grand slam gives him extra motivation. Like, it's the third time I think he's ever won those first two tournaments or grand slams of the year. He really, really wants to achieve that. 
Yeah, I'd say I'd say he'd love it as just a, an exclamation point. Um, yeah, I don't think there's going to be a, a kind of a relaxing uh, having won that and, and kind of gotten that that box ticked. I suppose of the twenty three, I think he's going to push on. That's just the type of type of competitor he's been. Um, body body wise, he looks pretty good. As I say, there was no like he was duffed up a couple of times by Nadal. He looked like a he looked like a kind of a bruised and battered guy uh, after the French Open the last few years. But this one, he's come out kind of gleaming, as I say, sitting on his throne um, and has a nice lead in now for three weeks to Wimbledon. And uh, yeah, he'll be ready to go. Seems to have come out the other side of all the, the controversies and the the vaccine stuff, uh, almost with a, a siege mentality. Like, is, is that just almost propelled Djokovic into a, into this level considering he's 36 and, and people would say you know he, he should be tapering off at this stage but it's nearly given him a, a new lease of life in some weird ways yeah I think you're right I think he's probably settled in his own head that he, he isn't going to be loved and he is a little bit of a he is a divisive figure and he's got the Serbian sort of fans that come out in force that I think know that as well um, and are there to sort of back him up in any fight any dog fight he's in in, 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 in any stadium um, so Yes, like if you think about Australia, where we were, um, 2022, and, and him not being able to play, he's in, uh, you know, he's in a confinement uh, hotel. Uh, he's had the the match at the US Open the year before where he's been disqualified. He's still a couple of um, slams away from, from getting to where Nadal's going to get to. Uh, so to think he's turned it around um, uh, and is sitting pretty at 23 with Federer obviously out of the picture, Natal, it sounds like he'll he'll hopefully get out to to some of the bigger tournaments next year, but it sounds like he possibly won't be a force, um, and ever no one else is anywhere close. So he's just he's kind of playing with house money now for the next what you'd have to think at least eighteen months. He's going to be an absolute um, not a, not a not a favorite necessarily with Alcaraz around, but certainly one of the top two or three at every Slam. Um, so. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if, if Alcaraz can sort of improve, if he's going to be a bit of a blocker for Nadal, or sorry for Djokovic to maybe get to the to the mid-20s or even high-20s, scary as that sounds. Where is Djokovic in that gold conversation for you with Federer and Nadal? Like, it, does it solely come down to, to numbers and him being ahead of the two of them in, on Grand Slams now, or is it is it more nuanced than that maybe? Yeah, I mean, I don't like how the, the, the whole GOAT debate has been pretty reductive to, to just Grand Slams. Like, I know... Bjorn Borg was complaining um, a few years ago. I remember that, you know, he used to go and win, kill himself to win the Italian Open because it was a massive event and then turn around and win the French and uh, and Wimbledon. That was an incredible achievement and nobody necessarily went down to Australia. Um, whereas that's changed and, and, and Djokovic has won, what was it, 10, 10 Australians, give or take. So that is a big... Um, I suppose change in terms of how the debate's been framed. It's just Grand Slam numbers. Um, but I think any way you look at it, I saw a graphic the other day where he's got, uh, I think, the most weeks at ATP number one, most Masters Series titles. Um, he's won, I think, the most year-end year end number ones, I think, is seven. I think Sampras was six. Um, so, you know, he's out there. It's very, very hard to, very, very hard to look past I, it is very hard to look past at this stage. I mean, I'd love to make the case for uh, Federer or Nadal. Um, both Federer and Nadal had, had periods where they looked um, like they were coming to the end. Like, you could kind of see it, especially with Federer. The injuries began to take a toll. With Djokovic, that hasn't been the case. The only thing 
that has prevented him from playing has been disqualification for yeah. you know hitting the ball boy with the ball or uh, because he refused to uh, take vaccines. Um, like there has been no sense of physical decline at all, has there? No, I mean, well, I mean, he, he sort of had this I- issue in Australia, um, and and it looked like after I think it was the third round was it his hamstring, um, and he sort of hobbled over the line and. He looked like he was really minding himself for for um, a match or two, but managed to get through it just because of his level. And then thanked his team, his physio, at the end of the two weeks, saying that they had done you know an unbelievable amount of work behind the scenes to get him right. Um, so there has been a couple of a couple of nat- naturally a couple of kind of niggles that have come come through, but there was nothing at all during the French. Um, I think he'll inevitably get something, but I I, I agree. There isn't, you know, you felt like with Federer, even he looked a little bit older, whereas Djokovic kind of lo- he looks the same as he did 10 years ago, the way he moves. There's no, there's been no compromise in his game, I guess is probably the way to describe it. He's playing the same game that he did uh, when he was 25. Um, he's not trying to shorten points or, or, or try to be a bit more aggressive or do anything differently. Um, so, yeah, it's it's amazing. But, like, it's funny, the lead-up to this tournament, like, he lost, I think it was the second round of quarterfinals of a, an, an ATP 250 in Bosnia to Dusan Lojevic, you know. So, um, it, he he's dipping in and out. You know, you don't see him between the slams a whole lot. So, he's doing what Federer did um, for a few years where he was just really, really peaking for the slams. So, that's obviously what's, what he's going to be doing over the next couple of years. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. But it's it's probably not going to be a 23 where he is right now. We've been talking in the aftermath of Serena finishing about the women's game and, and who needs to step up. It does appear as if Schwantek is, is the one who's uh, bubbled up. I mean, obviously, there's still room for Coco Goff and we really hope that Emirata Khanna solves all of the various myriad of issues that she has to try and... Um, you know, push on and, and give everybody something to look forward to. But is Schwantek on the verge of being like absolutely dominant or is she just a little bit ahead of everybody at the moment and, and as a result winning these titles and picking them up because there is nobody totally dominant? Yeah, I would say she's more than a little bit. I, you know, I would say she's she's um, she's there's a definitely a gap between her and the rest of the field. I think what's helped her though is Ash Barty retiring um, and, and Naomi Osaka both out of the pic- both out of the picture now. Um, both sort of choosing, as opposed to walk away from from tennis and that. Um, um, I suppose, yeah, I, I always find that amazing that that Barty Barty walked away at, at twenty five and Osaka sort of chose not to um, try and become one of the greats um, because they both had the potential to do it. So that has opened up a bit of a pathway for Shriantek, and she's yeah really focused. Seems like it's her. It's her number one thing in her life, um, which is obviously what's required. Um, so, yeah, it's just whether she can put it together now for five, six, seven years or 10 plus years like Serena. I think that seems to be the, the typical thing for, for players these days for whatever reason. Um, it, it seems like the on the ladies' side, they're finding it difficult to, to go and put 15, 16 year careers together. Uh, it seems like they, they burn right for four or five years and, and get a little bit tired or disillusioned or distracted or something um, and they're not able to put these incredible kind of careers together like we saw with Navrat, going back to say the Navratlova 
Everett sort of days all the way through to Serena. I was reaching a point there, Connor. I was thinking, you know, the 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 peak age of tennis. We spoke to Jenny Claffey about this last week as well. The peak age was getting more and more, like what is a record eleven Grand Slams in his thirties for Djokovic. But then you see the likes of Sviantek at twenty two and and Alcaraz at twenty, and you wonder, like, which which way is it is it headed? Is it is it a bit of both? Like, you, you kind of feel with sports science developing the way it is, players will be able to play a little bit longer. But but then you see players at the peak of their powers potentially. In Sviantec and, and, and Alcaraz, so it's hard to know which way it's headed. Yeah, I mean, I, I read something during the week about Djokovic that he's in that maybe that sweet spot of having all that incredible experience and not um, and not having a real fade physically. And as I say, I think that that fade comes quite quickly um, from maybe thirty six, thirty seven to forty. Um, but right now, he's in a bit of a he's in a good place where he's got. You know some of the stats you see that that roll around during these tournaments in terms of how many say Grand Slam semi-finals he's played, and if you think he's won twenty-three, how many Slam semi-finals, how many times he's been in that situation. So, I think that helps massively. Um, like it was interest, interesting that watching the start of the the final against Rude, um, like Djokovic got off to a really slow start. It's almost like he's so comfortable and relaxed in those situations. Sometimes he finds it difficult to know exactly which gear to start in. And he can be, I think he's so used to it being, knowing he's got this three, four hour window to win the match and, and sort of so confident in some ways that he can be quite slow. And he almost played with fire a little bit against Rude and was down 4 1. Um, so sometimes it can work against him. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, it, I, don't, I don't know why, say, the guys are, are seem to be able to put together these careers and, and seem to say, have that hunger. Um, and and an ability to keep going well into their 30s, whereas the ladies are, um, you know, a little bit more focused on on winning slams in their early 20s, and then kind of m- mid to late 20s are, are are a little less seem to be a little less engaged. Attitude seems to be so important as well, kind of like when you look at the likes of the, those younger players. I was reading a story during the week of Iga Swiatek when she was 18, uh, you know, four years ago, making a bet with her sports psychologist. You know that she couldn't go through one training session without any drama, and she was just in this period where she was consistently having issues at, at training sessions. Alcaraz as well now, all of a sudden, is a player that just plays with a smile on his face, as does Fiontek at this stage. So it's clearly something that that the younger players have taken on board that you need to you need to enjoy the sport and not have the tantrums that that lead to, I guess, the the sport becoming a, a negative part of your life. Yeah, I, think I love Alcaraz's um, attitude. Um, you know, if you look at Nadal, Federer, these guys, they kind of all don't bring a lot of baggage with them, um, which I think helps. And if you look at Holger Rune, who's a, a, another talent who I really, really, I think is a massive upside and, and is winning Master Series now, Master Series now at, say, 19 years of age, which sort of would suggest he's tracking towards being a Grand Slam champion over the next two or three years. He does have a little bit of... Um, drama that he brings which I think it never helps ultimately um, there's so much going on and so much there's so many fights to fight in tennis that bringing your own um, creating your own sometimes can uh, can overcomplicate things and, and it's a waste of energy so um, yeah controlling um, so it's your your own mental state is is, is absolutely key and Sviantex one of the few players who travels with a sports psychologist Um which is interesting. I think she's a really close friend as well, um, and, it, and it seems to have really helped her sort of make that transition from being, say, winner of Junior Wimbledon, breakout winner of the French three, four years ago, uh, and now starting to pull together a, you know, a collection of Grand Slam titles. So she's navigated that 
that really, really well. I always find it interesting to go and take off and say it in her in her interviews. You know, I'm from Little Old Poland. You know, we don't have a huge history of tennis. Um, but then I'm like, well, Radvanska made final of Wimbledon in 2012 and Jersey Tana, which made semis of Wimbledon in 2014. Um, but she, she certainly plays the the role of somebody who's sort of just trying to figure all this out um, and, and perhaps is, is sort of trying to, to tamp on expectations a little bit when she says that. Naomi Osaka says she will come back after she has her baby and she wants her kids to see her play um, tennis at a high level. So hopefully that's the inspiration that uh, drives a rivalry because the, ten- the, the women's game needs a bit of the rivalry to replace what Serena obviously brought with the box office. Tennis needs rivalries. It's 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 lifeblood for whatever reason. Um, you, you have to have it. Um, so um, going back to McEnroe Borg and and all the way through the Agassi Sampras, the Becker Edbergs, um, and obviously we had an incredible run with the the three slash four guys, including Murray. Um, so the women's game has suffered massively, I think, in the last decade from from a lack of that. I think Serena's star power um, and I suppose her uniqueness. Uh, in terms of how good she was, car- carried carried the WTA through kind of a rocky period, and now we're in a bit of a yeah a period where I think we need we need a few more names, a few more rivalries. I think Raducanu would have been poised. I think that would have been would have been absolutely fantastic for her to say take up a position in the top three to five in the world and, and be competing. But it just looks like that is not happening for her, um, and I'd be concerned that she is you know not going to be able to consolidate a position in the top 10 yeah. with the injury trouble she's had and I don't know it's just she's just not putting it together alright Connor we'll leave it there for now good stuff thanks a million great to have you with us cheers guys OCB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now